If you will turn to chapter 2 of Ephesians, that's where we're going to be preaching from this morning. <clears throat> this morning's message is, I see dead people, which um, Derek reminded me that the overall sermon series is our life in Christ, so it's sort of ironic that the subtitle would be, I see dead people, but I think it's appropriate for today. Um, a few... Um, a few days ago, we stayed up, and uh, it's been a joy having Allie and Lucas living with us uh, here uh, until he goes off to the until they go off to the Air Force, uh, which is going to be here very soon. Uh, he goes off for his tests and all that here in a couple weeks, and they're excited and we're excited for them. And uh, but while they're in our house uh, living for right now, uh, we're trying to introduce to Allie things that she has not experienced before, including wild game, uh, which has been an adventure for all of us. Uh, but one are different shows that we have enjoyed over time, and one of them is the movie The Sixth Sense. And if you've not seen it, I will do my best not to spoil it for you. But at one point during the movie, the young boy in the movie, Cole I believe is his name, uh, looks at his psychiatrist and says with fear in his voice, I see dead people. And, of course, like most psychiatrists would, the psychiatrist begins to question the young, the young boy's sanity. And he repeats himself. He says, I see dead people. And he said, do you see them all the time? And he says, yes. I see them all the time, and they talk to me. And then he says, but they don't know that they're dead. And that, when I watched it, this is probably the fourth or fifth time I've seen the movie, and it always, always it never disappoints. I know exactly what's going to happen through the whole film, and there's always something new to it. That's the mark of a good movie right there, is that you can always enjoy it no matter how many times you watch it. But when I heard that line, they don't know they're dead, it reminded me of this passage, that there are a lot of individuals in our lives that we come in contact with every day where we could rightfully say, I see dead people, because that's exactly what they are. They are dead people. Spiritually, they are corpse, corpses. Corpses? Yeah, that's the plural. They are walking around among us. They engage with us. They talk to us. We might be even related to some of them. We interact with them on a daily basis. And yet they are dead. And the sad part is they don't even know it. They are living their lives as if one day is leading to the next, not really understanding what is lying ahead of them. We see dead people all the time. Now, I struggled with this passage today, not because of the complexities of the passage. It's not a very complex passage, but it's that we've addressed this passage multiple times and uh, there is a point in which you can beat a dead horse if you do it too often. Um, and so I, I, I thought in this case, what we're going to do 
is we're going to expand that verse, uh, verse uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, uh, to the whole section, verses 1 through 11, because it's really within a context that Paul writes these words that we are saved, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works. We've said that, we know that verse. If I were a tattooing guy, I'd probably have that tattooed across my chest. Backwards. So that every time I got up, looked in the mirror when I was getting ready in the morning, I would be reminded of why I'm here. But the reality is that this verse lies in the context of this massive passage where Paul refers to individuals around him as dead. So let us read this entire passage and then I am going to uh, not too quickly, but somewhat quickly, walk through this so that we can understand how to apply it to our context. Paul writes, in verse, beginning in verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let us pray. Father, may we never forget that it is completely apart from our works that we are saved. That salvation is a gift. May we cherish it. And may we always remember that we are God's workmanship in Christ. And we were created for good works. Father, let us not fall prey to the world around us, to the devil that accuses us, to sinners who stand before us attempting to lead us astray even when they don't mean to. Let us remember who we are. And that is, we are in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When Lucas, um, my son, goes out, well, he's an adult now. And so at, at this point in his life, I can merely give him advice and encourage him. And poor Lucas forgets that he's an adult now sometimes. And so the other night... He said, Dad, well, first of all, he knocked on our bedroom door. He said, can I come in? I was like, no. 
stay out. Anyway, he said, Dad, can me and Allie go over to such and such friend's house? I'm like, I don't care. You're an adult. Don't ask me. Just let me know when you're going to be home so I don't shoot you when you come through the door, which is a real possibility, folks. And he's like, oh, I keep forgetting. He keeps forgetting that he's an adult, and he doesn't have to ask us permission to go one way or the other. He just, just, just go. But I always, I remind him, and I will text them, and I will say, number one, don't do anything stupid, which I think all of us have told our children from time to time. Don't do anything stupid. And then the second thing is this, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And we are children of the living God. And Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus this. He reminds them at the beginning, he says this. He says, and you were once, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, two things, as a reminder, trespasses and sins are not different things. They are the same thing, all right? So Paul often does this. He uses two words to emphasize one major point, that you were dead, you were deceased, Now, obviously, this is a metaphor, but if we reach all the way back to the first three chapters of Genesis, what does God say is going to happen if they eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? He says, you will surely die. Now, God did not mean that you will drop dead physically, but spiritually, Adam and Eve, once they partook in the forbidden fruit, they dropped dead spiritually. They were dead. And Paul says that that sin that is in Adam now rests in all of us as original sin. That we are all marked for death outside of Christ. And we need a second Adam to step in and do what the first Adam failed to do. And of course, that second Adam is Jesus. And so Paul reminds us that you were dead in the trespasses in which you once walked. Jewish individuals during this time often used in their literature this concept of walking, and we've adopted this this mentality that we're walking through life, that we're walking from one stage to the next, Some of us are running, some of us are moving like a sloth, but one way or the other we are going somewhere, correct? But often in in Jewish literature, it talks about this idea of walking, and Paul uses it regularly, that we are walking in life. And in this case, he's saying you are walking in these sins and trespasses that lead unto death. Now here in a little bit, we're going to be reminded that now that we are in Christ, we are walking in a different way. So there's a different way that we are walking now that we are Christians. He says that you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is an unusual phrase. But the Ephesians would have recognized this immediately. Again, oftentimes in Jewish literature and in pagan literature, Evil spirits were considered to be floating in the air amongst us, above us. 
And so what Paul is saying is, is that you were once being, uh, you were being enticed, you were being affected by two things. Number one, the courses of this world which lead to death and the influence of Satan, of the devil, and of his dominion, of his, of his demons, if you will. Now, we said last week, and I want to remind us of this because I don't want us to forget this, we often give Satan far too much power. We sometimes equate him to Christ, that, he, that if Christ is 100% good, then Satan is over here as 100% evil. Now, Satan certainly is evil, and, God, and Jesus is certainly good, but they are not equal in any form or fashion. They, Satan, nor his demons, can peer into your heart. They are not omniscient. They are not all-powerful. Satan is not everywhere at all times. His influence might be. But he is not. However, Christ, however, God, his hand is on all things at all times. And so we were once following this prince of the power of the air. Now, these ind individuals around us today who are unbelievers, they would strongly object to the, uh, the fact that they are following Satan. They say, I, I don't follow Satan. I don't even believe in Satan. That is exactly, Satan does not care if you believe in him. In fact, he would rather you not believe in him. Satan would rather you not believe in him. Because if you don't believe in him, it is very likely that you don't believe in God. Isn't that interesting? That in order to believe in the biblical God, you must believe that there is Satan. Because that's what the word says says Satan would be fine and dandy if you had no faith in anything at all and didn't believe in anything at all. And by that, we end up following him and following his, his treacherous ways. It says that we were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, when it says spirit here, what Paul is doing is two things. Number one, he is relating this idea of spirits and the prince of power in the air as being amongst us and around us. Folks, demons are real. Demons are a real thing. When the Bible refers to them, they are not. the Bible, Scripture, is not being metaphorical. It is not some sort of analogy. It's not some sort of allegory. They are very real. They are fallen angels. And they are active amongst us. But he's also relating this to the Spirit of God. Now remember, as Christians, yes, spirits are around us. But they are not more powerful than the Spirit that is in us. That gives us strength to not follow those spirits that are around us. I've often gotten the question, especially when I was in youth group, youth like to ask some of the most obscure questions, but they often end up being the most interesting questions, right? And they say, can a Christian be possessed? First of all, they'll ask, is possession real? I'll say, absolutely it is real. And they'll say, can a Christian be possessed? And I'll say, no, 
They cannot. A Christian cannot be possessed because Satan cannot be in the same place as the Holy Spirit. And so it says that these spirits, though, are now at work in the sons of disobedience. These are unbelievers. And it says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were once by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that is who we were. We were following, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, following the prince of the power of the air and the course of this world. We were being influenced and enticed by the evil spirits that are around us. We were, uh, by nature, children of wrath. That is who we were. That is who we were. That is how we are born. We are marked for death. Before Christ. And so I just want us to pause here for a second and realize the gravity of that. This idea of spiritual death is a very real thing. I have here in my notes this idea of the sons of disobedience to compare that to the sons of God. And Paul does this. He does this wordplay where he reminds us, you were once sons of disobedience. Now you are sons of God. You were once children of wrath. Now you are children of the living God. You were once walking in a path leading to death. You are now walking in the ways of Christ. You were once dead in your trespasses. Now you are alive and living in Christ. We need to remember the gravity of where we once were and where many still are. Now I thought about stopping the sermon and just expounding on those first three verses. But I have a strong aversion to ending a sermon that is so paralyzing, so uh, depressing, if you will, just reminding us who we were. I always, wanna, I always want to fill the message with this, this, this idea of reminding us, not of necessarily of who we were. I think that's good for us to remember that. But now alerting us to who we are now. Remember who you are. And so when I send that text message or, or whisper in Lucas's ear, and I say, remember who you are. Don't, don't forget what you once were, but remember who you are now. You are living a different life. You are living on a you are walking a different course. And if we forget that, if we don't date, this is not something that comes naturally to us. We have to constantly be reminding ourselves who we are. Because the world is coming at us at every direction trying to entice us. In every single way trying to entice us, trying to reach out and draw us back in to that muck and the mire, that miry clay that the Lord saved us from, 
the world is trying to pull us back in. And we have to constantly be on our toes and be at the ready to remind ourselves that we are not that anymore. We are a new creation, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians. We are a new creation. We have been created for something else, for something different. It is a new life. We are no longer dead, but we have spiritually been resurrected by the same Spirit that brought Christ out of the tomb. And so Paul reminds the church, this is where you once were, this is where those who are around you still are. But then he says this, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, all of that is leading up to the big kaboom, okay? Listen, he says, but God, being number one, rich in mercy, our God is rich in mercy. And whatever God is, we, are, uh, we, we should be emulating. We should be merciful individuals. We should be individuals who are just rich in mercy. But God being rich in mercy, number one, because of the great love that He has loved us with, all right, so because of His love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Remember what Paul says in Romans, while we, are, while we were sinners, Christ saved us. It says here, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. We have been made alive. We have been resurrected spiritually, and we have been made alive with Christ the same way that Christ was resurrected, we have now been resurrected. We have been made alive with Christ. And he says, by grace, you have been saved. Now, let me remind you what that means. Grace is God's unmerited favor towards us. It is, it, is, it, is un, it, is, it is it is his orientation towards his children. He has a an orientation towards his children of grace. So it's not anger, it's not jealousy, it's not vengeance, it is grace that he has toward it's an unmerited favor. He doesn't just favor us. It is unmerited, which he's going to remind us of. We are saved by, it is that favor that leads to our salvation. If God did not demonstrate grace towards us, saving grace towards us, we would not be saved. So it is by grace that we are saved. And this is not some sort of just general grace. So God, there are different types of grace. God shows or demonstrates common grace to everyone. And you must, even unbelievers? Yes, even unbelievers. Even dictators? Yes, even dictators. Even murderers? Yes, 
even murderers God shows common grace to. How is that possible? It is common grace that God does not rip every single sinner from the face of the earth and cast them in hell right now. It is by grace that you had the opportunity to live in your sin prior to coming to salvation. That is common, prevenient grace. We do, it is common grace. It is God's hand on our lives that doesn't allow the sin of the world to completely overwhelm and consume us. The only way that we are even able to not be consumed by the sin that is around us is because God is holding that back. He is holding it at bay, if you will. You are breathing right now because of God's grace. By grace, you have been saved. And then in verse 6, not just saved, but He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So He didn't just save us by His grace. He is lifting us up to the height of heaven and seating us with Christ. Now, you might be thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm not there. I'm sitting in this facility right now. So what is Paul referring to? Our place is reserved. Our future is reserved. My wife and I are traveling to Alaska in June, if, if everything goes as planned. That's a long way from now. Lots of things could happen. But we reserve flights. I have a seat ready to go, an aisle seat, mind you, it's real special, ready to go on that, for that eight-hour flight to Alaska. All right? We have a hotel reserved for us in Alaska. We have a motorhome reserved for us in Alaska. We've reserved these things. Our place is, is settled. Because of Christ, we have a place reserved for us in, in His presence for all eternity. Now here's the catch. I keep getting emails from Delta saying, your flight has changed. Which means that I keep, gotta, I keep having to look back to see whether or not they canceled my flight. Or they're flying me to like California or some other forsaken place like that. But I keep having to go back and check these things, right? It keeps changing on me. Our reservations in heaven will not change. When we are saved and sealed, we will be delivered to be with Christ. Let's see that sign, sealed and delivered, right? Oh, yeah, 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 I know the song. All right, so that's what's happening. Our lives are sealed with Christ so that we might know the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
Now let's get us to this pivotal point here. Paul writes, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So if we have been saved by grace, it is through the means of faith. I have often said when someone asks me, if God ordains our salvation, predestines our salvation, then what is the point of us preaching the gospel? God does the saving, and God gives us faith, but it is through the means of us preaching the gospel day and night. And so we are saved by God's grace, His unmerited favor towards us, through the means of faith that we would believe. We must believe. So when Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, that those who confess that Jesus is Lord will be saved. Confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead, that He would be saved. That is a real thing. That is a demonstration of faith. I am confessing Christ. I am believing in Christ. That is a demonstration of faith that God gives us. Now, I'm going to make a brief change, a small change in what I have taught before after kind of pouring over this. I want to make just a small change, and it's this. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. I have often said that faith is the gift, and I believe that. It is a gift. That is not exactly what Paul means here, though. The gift that Paul is talking about here is salvation. That our salvation is a gift. And why that matters falls in line with this idea of works. Because he says that it is not by, this is not of your own doing, it is a gift. So at Christmas, we unwrap gifts... And we get a present, we unwrap the present, and we have this item in front of us. But we did not work for it. It was a gift. It was not of our own doing. It was a gift. Our salvation, likewise, is a gift. None of us did anything to earn it. And so we are saved by grace, by the means of faith, and our salvation is a gift. So is faith not a gift? No, it's a gift as well. It's a, we don't conjure up faith, all right? God saves us by His grace, and He gives us faith to believe. And this is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And finally, in verse 10, Paul writes, For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember, we are no longer walking to our death. We are no longer walking in our trespasses and sins, following the course of this world. We are now reminding our we are Paul is reminding us that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we should walk in those good works. Not only are these good works 
absolutely crucial. They were prepared beforehand. God has already laid these good works out ahead of time. So it's not just your life that God sealed before the foundations of the earth. It is the good work that He has laid before us. Has been, it's, it's out there. It's already planned. Now, how is this applicable to us? We've read this verse over and over and over. What is the application? What does this mean? How, where does the rubber meet the road? It is this. It does not matter what age you are. It does not matter what gifts you have, what skills you have. It does not matter about your past. This is the reality, is that you have a unique purpose laid before you. Are you going to fulfill that purpose? The other day, um, last week, I went with Lucas so that he could take his final practice test for the Air Force. And we were studying for it beforehand, uh, making sure that he did well on it so that he could get the job in the Air Force that he wanted. And so I was... I had to remind myself of all the math that I had forgotten, right? Like long division with decimals. Oh, my gosh. Percentages and fractions and all those sorts of things. You forget that. If you, it really is true. If you, if you don't use it, you do lose it, right? And so I'm having to remind him of these things. And as I'm going through there, he's going, we're looking at all the jobs and what the score you need and everything. And I just looked at him. I said, Lucas, I'm jealous of you. I said, this is exciting. You're getting ready to start your your, your life, this career path you're getting ready to, to be on, it's exciting. I said, in, some, in, in many ways, I wish I could join you on this, you know, and, and just be able to kind of grab a hold of this because as you're going through this and as you're looking at it, there is this, you can, the purpose that is being laid out in front of him is sort of tangible. And he's going to be able to grasp that and, and, and take that over. It's an exciting time for him. And so I, I came away from that thinking. I was like, we have been given a very similar thing as Christians. We have been given a task, and it is set before us. Will we be faithful in pursuing that task? And it does not matter where we are at what stage in life we are. It does not matter if we are just starting out. It does not matter. See, that's the issue. While I was in the room and he was answering some questions of the recruiter, I'm looking online. I kid you not, looking online. How old is too old to be enlisted in the military? And there was a part of me that was just hoping it would say 45, right? Because I'm not there yet. I'm like, man, I could do this. And it said, you cannot be younger than 18 and you cannot be older than 38, Darn it. But then there was a caveat. It said, unless you want to go into healthcare or ministry, you can be 48. And Lucas said, you want to do it with me? He said, you can go in with me. I said, no, buddy, I'll be an officer. And so, <laughs> that's not true. But the point being, I was like, no, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm too old now. I'm too old now. I can't do that. It would have been, if I were 23 again and that got presented to me, maybe that would have been, you know, maybe that would have been exciting. All right. But now I'm too old. We are never too old, too far along 
to fulfill the tasks that God has laid before us. Yeah, do things start to slow down? Sure, things slow down. But it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. So let me encourage you, no matter where you are in your life, don't stop. Keep going. Are there transitions? Yes. Will I always be preaching every Sunday from the pulpit? Probably not. Probably not. But even if I'm not preaching on Sunday by Sunday from this pulpit, that does not mean that God's not, that God is done with me. If I am breathing, I have good works to be done for the sake of Christ. And so let that encourage you this morning. If you are, if you are struggling, like I just don't know what God wants from me. I don't know what God wants from me. Maybe it's just that He wants me to just read my Bible and study and go to church. Folks, I'm going to tell you, yes, God does want that from you, and He also wants more. He also wants more. The studying and the praying and the worship and that stuff is to prepare you for more. So if you're struggling, you're saying, I just don't know what God wants from me. Maybe He just doesn't need me anymore. That's false. That is the devil. That's what the devil wants you to think, that God doesn't need you anymore. Now, does he need any of us? No. Okay, he doesn't need any of us. Does he want to use you? Yes. Yes. So pray. Pray that the Lord would reveal to you what he, what he wants of you at this stage in your life. I have, I have prayed at different states, Lord, do I still need to be doing this? Are, are you calling me to something else? Sometimes circumstances arise and alert you, oh, maybe this is the Lord saying, I need to move on. That happened to me with youth ministry. That happened to me with worship ministry. I wasn't being forced out of the worship ministry. But there were certain circumstances and things in my life and just a stirring in my heart that led me to, to want to be a pastor. And ask your brothers and sisters who are around you. you say, go to them and say, I don't know exactly what God wants in, of me. Do you see something in me? that would lead you to believe that I should be doing working in this fashion for the, for the Lord. And it is very likely that they will alert you to those. Others around you see you differently than you see yourself. They just do. Sometimes they'll bring you down. Like, I just feel like I need to be singing solos from the stage. And then you ask somebody, and they remind you that you cannot carry a tune in a bucket. You do not need to be doing that. Make a joyful noise from the back pew. Okay? Far separated from everyone else. And the condenser mics that hang from the ceiling. We do not want to pick you up on TV. All right? And then other times, they'll say, we believe you need to do this. And you're like, no, 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 no. I, I can't do that. I can't do that. And then they will just lay it out to you. This, 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 this I see in you. You were created for good works. It is a sin 
not to go after them and chase after them. So let that encourage you this morning. You were dead. You're now alive. But God did not make you alive just so you could walk around aimlessly. You have a purpose that has been laid out before the foundations of the earth. Go find it and go live in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. And we ask that you would give us confidence as we walk this Christian life. That you would give us confidence as we strive to determine what you want from us, Lord. Where you want us to serve, to work for your glory. Father, give us confidence in you. Help us to see that our salvation is a blessing, that it is a gift. But that we've been saved for something. Help us to find it, Lord. We love you and we ask you to keep us until that day, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us stand.